Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is May the... May? April? It's April. April the 3rd, 2014. This is episode 1327 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got an awesome one for you today. I've got a gal I'm about to bring on in just a few moments named Jen Mendez to talk about using permaculture as a foundation for the education of our children. This is not teaching children permaculture. This has very little to nothing to do with growing a grape or an apricot or a, a lemon. This has to do with the methodology of permaculture being applied to the educational system to correct many of the things that I find basically atrocious with modern education. I think you will be blown away by this woman, her background, her education, and her passion for helping to improve the educational opportunities for our children. And I think those of you that are of the homeschool world out there are going to freaking love this. But before I get into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, Survival Gear Bags. Great gear and great bags to put in them in. Blah, 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 blah. Great gear and great bags to put that gear in. That's what you're going to find at Survival Gear Bags, run by the now famous Kelly John Doe, who has been with Survival Podcast long enough that his forum uh, ID has two digits. That's a long time, considering the thousands of members the forum has now. He has the uh, he had the uh, username uh, Cart Pusher on the forum way back in the day, if you might remember, if you've been around that long. He was in the fulfillment industry, put together some group buys for people, and uh, did a good job with that, and said, hey, maybe I can turn this into a business. Today's Survival Gear Bags is a family-owned and operated business. Kelly's wife works in the business with him, so do his kids. And again, you'll find great gear and great bags to put that gear in at survivalgearbags.com. Remember, free shipping to all and MSB members. You guys get a discount at survivalgearbags.com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal, the original Survival Podcast sponsor. When we had no sponsors, there was Vic Rontala with Safe Castle saying, Hey, we believe in what you're doing. We want to officially sponsor the show. So early on, in fact, that I said, uh, no, not yet. Not ready. I don't feel that it's right for me to take a sponsor's money yet. I don't think I've got the show quite where it needs to be. But when I get there, I'll let you know. And when I let him know, he was still rare, raring to go, ready to sponsor the show. He did that. He became Survival Podcast Sponsor number one. He's got incredible gear for your prepping, from tactical to practical, garden to guns, and everything in between. You'll find it at Safe Castle. The best way to visit Safe Castle Royal and Survival Gear Bags and all our sponsors, visit the survivalpodcast.com first and click on their banner in the right-hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with an actual sponsor that carries our endorsement. endorsement. Uh, and, you know, both of those companies do support the MSB. Safe Castle actually gives away their discount membership program that would cost you $49 to buy. Uh, you get it for free. It makes your first year of MSB a buck. But I have other discounters for you that aren't sponsors because, well, I'm out of sponsorship space. How about Terroir Seeds, MSB discounter of the day, 10% off all seeds? You can find heirloom seeds at Terroir, of qual the quality of which is just beyond belief. How 
uh, rigorous they are with the quality control that they do there. And you can find some things there that, frankly, I just have not been able to find anywhere else. Uh, you can find out more about the discount program they offer in the benefits section of your MSB account. If you're a member, if you're not, consider joining today. You get discounts to Survival Gearbacks. You get discounts to Sea Castle Royal. You get discounts to Terroir Seeds. You get discounts to 40 other companies. Your membership pays for itself. Support the show at 18.3 cents an episode and get a return of investment. And if you're military... Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, or first responder like EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, active due to your prior service, email me, put service discount in the subject line, send that email off to jack at the survival podcast.com, service discount in the subject line, and if you don't hear back in a day or two, right now, make it till Monday, if you don't hear back by Monday, but normally, if you don't hear back in a day or two, resend that email, the spam monster ate it or something like that, uh, I'm usually pretty quick about turning those back around for you guys, um, and uh, I really want to make sure you guys get the discount, and thank you for your service at home and or abroad. Um, with that, let's get into our history segment here real quick. The year is 1327. I skipped over the prequel to this yesterday because I wanted to talk about Occam's Razor. But Queen Isabel sends her husband into the great beyond. King Edward II has been moved from castle to castle by his wife, Queen Isabella, ever since she forced him to abdicate his throne in favor of their son, Edward III. But things are getting dangerous. As long as the father lives, a rebellion against her son is possible. Isabella makes a decision. Now Edward II's screams can be heard for miles around as he is bent over and a red-hot poker is, well, use your imagination. Depending on how they did it, it was possible to leave no mark on the body. It would look like a natural death, despite what anyone heard. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these history segments together at tspwiki.com. I'm sure Isabella saw her husband's execution as poetic justice for him humiliating her in front of England and the world with his various lovers. It also makes sense not to, ha not to have an extra king in the sidelines as a rallying point for rebels. No doubt Isabella hoped to dominate her 15-year-old son, Edward III. But the boy is no wimp. He knows his mother too well. She will find herself sidelined and eventually shipped off to a nunnery. Well, that's what was going on in 1327. Basically, all I see is... Tyrants struggling for control over the masses. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But we're not here to talk about things staying the same today. We're talking about change, real change, positive change, not change and hope you can believe in, not that nonsense, not political change. Change initiated by the marketplace itself. Change initiated by private individuals who say the solution, the problem is the solution. The problem is the educational system. Therefore, the educational system can be the solution if we take the proper approach to redesigning it and we don't wait for government to do it for us. We do it on our own. Here to talk about that today, Jen Mendez of permikids.com. And with that, hey, Jen, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Um, could you tell people before we get into uh, your new initiative just a little bit about your background, uh, how you uh, ended up having such a passion for education and uh, kind of a, a different take than I think a lot of conventionally educated educators? Sure. Well, so um, I grew up in Minnesota, and I guess I had to, what you would consider for a lot of people sort of just an average childhood, um, middle, upper class, and went through school. I did well. Uh, got good grades, um, was pretty bored, 
Um, but, you know, I just figured that's, that's kind of, you know, the way it goes. Um, and I came to uh, my high school, and in 10th grade, I found out that there was a program where if you have a certain GPA in high school, you can attend the University of Minnesota. The state will pay for you going and taking college credits. Um, I had to pay for the books and for transportation and set everything up, but um, that opportunity was there. And I thought, well, geez, that sounds really interesting. And so I uh, went forward and, and did that uh, with a lot of resistance, unfortunately, from the high school. Um, people saying, why would you want to do that? Um, and it just oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the high school was resistant to you taking college courses. They were. They were. Um, they, yeah, I know. I know. It sounds funny, doesn't it? Um, because yeah. at that point in time, we didn't have AP or, you know, International Baccalaureate or some of these other um, high school level programs that now exist uh, where you can get college credit. Those sort of things, at least in my high school, were not available. Wow. Sounds like yes. somebody was angry that somebody was stepping on their monopoly. Possibly. That's that's my guess at this point. Um, that had something to do with that or, uh, you know, with money um, because I was not going to be considered a full-time student. Yep. Although the college classes were going to apply back to my high school, so I didn't graduate high school early. I was still going to graduate, quote-unquote, with my class. However, you know, the college credits also then were college credits. Sure. Um, so that was really my first insight into this idea that, there are alternatives to, you know, traditional education and uh, that it took me seeking out and finding an opportunity and looking into it. And I think possibly because people were resistant, it made me that much more interested in giving it a try. Um, and uh, so I continued down sort of a different path from most of the people in my hometown after I uh, did two years of college and graduated high school. Then at that same time, I enlisted in the military and uh, went to a language school out in California. And for the first time, that was an education that was challenging for me. Um, it was really the first time, even though I had done two years of college, that I really had to work at it. My philosophy of if you just put enough effort in, you know, I can do anything, was questioned. Um, and that was really great. Uh, I ended up, you know, passing the, the, the course and did fine, um, but I really had to change my mindset about how I looked at education yet again. Um, and then uh, a few years down the line, people convinced me to go back and uh, become an officer. So I finished my, my education at that point in time and became an officer, did a couple tours, um, two in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, and, in fact, in Iraq is, is uh, where I, I met my, my current husband now. Um, we, uh, we didn't date for many years, but that's where I first met him. Um, and my tour to Afghanistan was yet another unique point for my life. My first tour in Afghanistan back in 2002 to the beginning of 2003, um, one of my job was, well, I had several jobs, but one of them was just to, to talk to the local people in the capital, and just to find out what was happening, what did people think, what was really happening in their life. And so I had the opportunity to go downtown, and, and we'd go out to restaurants, uh, we'd uh, go to different shops and talk to shopkeepers. And one of the things that I did was I got to know a handful of girls that were always on the street, 
and I would say ages maybe 6 to 12 or so. And uh, so I, I got to know these girls, and I'd see them several times every week. And I will never forget the day when they came running up to me with papers in hand saying that they started school for the first time in their life. And the look in their eye, it was just, it was awe-inspiring. And it really brought home the fact that what was going to make a difference in this world was education. And um, so between that and a few other experiences in off- as an officer, I, um, I really solidified my interest in being an educator. Um, I eventually got out of the military, did the contractor thing for a while, uh, could not stand the politics and the money-grubbing side of things. Um, and I eventually sat down one day and I wrote a list and I said, what is it about the either the jobs or the activities that I've done in the past that I really loved? What were the characteristics? And then let me find something that that meets those needs that I clearly have. And in no time flat, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to be a teacher. And I went back and got my master's in international education, uh, focused in the international baccalaureate program, and became a teacher. And I haven't looked back. I absolutely love it. I have taught uh, early childhood through fifth grade. Um, I've taught here in the U.S. and uh, public and private schools and also abroad. And I've just... It's been an amazing change. Um, and then a, f- a few years down the line, my husband and I decided to have a family of our own. And I knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, uh, if at all possible, at least for the first few years. And uh, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm now a, a mom, and I homeschool my children. I say homeschool. Uh, I say that very loosely. I have uh, two young children. Um, and uh, as we have developed as a family, um, and as I've developed as an educator, um, we, a couple of years ago, started listening to your show, started learning a little bit more about permaculture. My husband's always been into gardening, and I've always been into eating, so it worked out really well. Um, and uh, so we started then learning about permaculture, and we've been permaculture enthusiasts and students ever since. Uh, and as I... And the more I learned about permaculture, the more I thought everything that I am learning about permaculture, I am doing when it comes to education for children. There is not a single, you know, ethic or principle uh, that doesn't directly apply to a child's learning, um, at least in my experience thus far. And that is what really got me to make that connection. And I said, well, this is this makes all the sense in the world. Why are we not designing educational opportunities using permaculture thinking, the philosophy, not necessarily creating, you know, a PDC for kids. Sure. um, sure. But, you know, using the the ethics and the principles um, and embedding those in how the children are learning and then what they're learning. Um, And it doesn't matter what they're learning. Those principles apply. Um, And so that's gotten me to where I am today. Uh, where I started doing that for my own kids on a very small level, you know, just within within our family. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to um, come to one of one of your 
um, classes and uh, had an opportunity to talk to you know you and Josiah and and Nick Ferguson and um, uh, several of the people there, um, many of the other uh, people who attended, and t- kind of shared this idea of here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm doing with my kids. I really would like to share this beyond just me. I mean, I, I looked at it as a form of surplus, um, you know, this knowledge and what I'm doing, the lessons I'm developing. And I said, you know, maybe there's other people who are interested or want to collaborate. Um, and I found there was a lot of interest and support. And so I have, in the last couple months, been really working through a process, trying to take this basic idea that I've been applying with my family and make it something that can actually become its own living entity um, on behalf of a greater community. And this has resulted in a, 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 an initiative you're calling Permi Kids. Could Correct. you talk about what the, what the mission of Permi Kids is? So the mission is to really empower. And I'm, I actually I, I steal a word from you here, um, and maybe you got from somewhere else in the past, but I originally heard it in one of your podcasts. Our mission is really to empower a duocracy community. So people coming together and choosing to take responsibility together and use the the permaculture ethical scientific design approach to create an education that then will empower children in learning and life. And so I use empower a couple different times and, and I think it's such a powerful word and so important because in order for us to really empower children, we need to first of all empower ourselves as a community. Um, and it needs to start with, with people who are willing to stand up and say, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I've, over the last couple of months, been working through that process, and I purposely started just in my, own, in my own room in a house and thinking through this, and I very quickly came to the conclusion that me doing this by myself in isolation is, is ultimately the wrong way to approach this. And what I needed to do was just start putting stuff out um, getting it available on the internet and start sharing the process that I'm going through, my thinking process, and um, allow the community to come in and help shape this educational program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be kind of counter to permaculture for someone to do it in isolation, that the entire concept of community and the, the strength of community it would be lost. And I don't think one person can do something this complex on their own. Now you're you're calling it Permi Kids, and usually when somebody does something like that, there's usually a, a story behind it. Is it just because it's based on permaculture, or does it actually stand for something? Well, Permi Kids does stand for something, um, and it stands for certain characteristics that um, that I see as essential um, for you know for this education program. Um, so it stands for problem solver. We want children to be solutions-based thinkers, ultimately. Empathetic, resilient, mindful, innovative, ethical, kind, inquisitive, and driven. And so these are sort of the characteristics that are embedded in, in what we are doing. And not just what children are going to learn, not just teaching them to be empathetic 
or to be inquisitive, but actually empowering them with an education where they can take on those characteristics themselves and develop them and, and develop the, an understanding of what those mean for themselves. Well, I think if you if you put people in the right direction, then empathy is something that, that's natural and human. But when you control people to a point where you try to isolate down to formulas, um, everything in education, then you remove empathy or you remove drive because you get one of two things with a kid, right? So like there's kids like you were and I was, where I was bored. There's no real challenge here. I don't really care. Or you get a kid that doesn't get it, and then then they feel overwhelmed. So either way, the drive is not there because I just don't care or I just can't care. Um, all of those things seem much more empowered by turning and switching kids on to what they want to know. And I've always said you could learn English reading anything from Huck Finn to comic books if it's properly delivered and let the kid decide what they really want to dig into. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me as I've been able to step back now that I am homeschooling. Um, I've, you know, I've gone through several iterations of understanding education, both as a student growing up, a student in uh, college and then in, in military courses, um, and then, of course, going back to school to become an educator and working in schools. And it's very interesting how now that I'm able to to step away from that a little bit and reevaluate, and I look and say, you know, wow, look at look at the transition. But it's amazing now that I'm able to look at it and say, but look at what we are sort of fooling ourselves about in in education. You know, we we talk about how we are, you know, what we call differentiating, right? Which means that we are reaching each child where they're at. We look at what are they ready to learn? What are they interested in learning? We look at what they already know. How do they like to learn? That's this idea of differentiation. And that's something that educators are, you know, pounded with nowadays. And yet, what do we do? We, we, we are doing things within our system as a whole, like monocropping, our kids, right? We monocrop them by grade. Uh, we do it by age. So even even if they're not in school, think about all the extracurricular activities. Things are still broken up by age. Or we do it by you know traditional classroom versus ESL, special needs versus gifted, right? Um, so we have these these you know these ways that we segregate, and we aren't really truly empowering, and we aren't really looking at the individual and nurturing that individuality um, that exists. And uh, you can only do that really through tapping into a child's own passions and, and I think doing it through a way that allows them to take information and not just learn knowledge and concepts and skills, but then do something with that, something meaningful for them in their life. And, and I think that's missing a lot of times um, in, in many traditional education programs um, and even some alternative education programs. Now, could you say a little bit more about how this idea was conceived? You, you talked on it a little bit, but you really didn't tell the full story. Um, so, well, it was, it was conceived a couple months before, um, before I came to, uh, to your, um, your workshop. And... Again, I, I, I came to the realization, I said, this is what I'm doing with my kids. I need to start 
I need to start doing something more organized with it. And so even before I came out there, I had started putting together um, – sort of units and, and lessons and playing with this idea. Um, and I started pushing stuff out on different websites to traditional teachers, seeing what sort of reaction I was going to get. So I was just kind of feeling things out. Um, but then I had the opportunity to, to come to your place. And uh, one of the days we were there, um, you guys gave everyone a chance to stand up and take, I think it was a minute and a half, maybe two minutes, and you could stand up and do a pitch about an idea that you have. And it didn't have to be permaculture related. It didn't have to be, uh, in this case, Earthworks. That's the course that I was there for. It didn't have to be related to that. It could be related to anything. And just stand up and pitch your idea to everyone there. And um, so I decided that I was, I'd stand up and, and share my thoughts. And essentially what I said was that I am amazed at what I see happening in the permaculture community. And there are so many just incredible things happening and great changes that are, that are occurring. Um, but what I see from my, from my perspective, which is, which is limited, um, but what I see is that things are happening for young adults through, you know, 60, 70 year old, um, people. But what I don't see happening is anything for children. And I think that if we are really going to have anything that is lasting, if we're really going to be able to do something with the prime directive of, you know, of looking after our children and our children's children, then we need to start looking at how do we, how do we empower children to see life through this lens or at least empower them with the knowledge that there is this lens and this way of thinking about anything that they are faced with in life. Um, and so I started, you know, I started thinking about that and I stood up and, and basically said that and, um, and again, got a lot of support from people and, and, uh, much more than I think I was expecting. Um, I, to me, it was something that just made sense and I was passionate about, but knowing that other people also found this of interest is what solidified my, 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 my plan to go forward with it. Um, and so I've been very fortunate, and I can't say thank you enough to you and Josiah and, and Nick um, for your support and your encouragement, um, because I would not have I would not have gotten to the stage I'm at without that. And so, so thank you. Well, and, and to tell the rest of the story, we actually ran a contest, and Jen was declared the winner um, uh, because we thought her idea was just kind of blow you away uh, in, in its impact uh, long term. Now, when you were talking there, you used a, a phrase, using the permaculture ethical scientific design approach to create or design an education for children. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that it is not a PDC for kids, that it's using this approach of looking at life um, through the ethics and then really, again, through the, the 12 principles. Um, and that you can design um, an education, and by doing that, it's not being designed for kids. It's being designed with kids. They are part of this community. Um, so when I talk about educators, and a lot of times I use the word educators instead of teachers because I think teachers, people think of a teacher as someone who passes on information, and really it needs to be more of an educator 
who is someone that is also a lifelong learner and who's there to facilitate the learning of themselves and others. And so an educator can be a parent. Um, that may be a parent who's homeschooling, but it may be a parent who's, you know, works full time and just wants to do something with their child on, you know, in the evenings and the weekends when they're together. Um, an educator is a grandparent who, you know, maybe watches the grandchild every Saturday. Um, an educator is, of course, then also professional teachers out there. Um, an educator could be a Sunday school teacher. Anyone who's in the life of a child um, is an educator, and that includes other children. Um, and I, so I think that's really important to, to consider that when you are thinking about this, uh, this, this ethical approach. It's a intergenerational and community-based approach. Um, and it's about using this, the, the way of looking at um, the world around you. And in this case, we're going to focus on uh, learning for young children. And I start with young children for, for a reason. Um, in many programs out there, and the one that, that my master's was based in, International Baccalaureate, um, you have these incredible ideas that are coming forward and a lot of times they're put together like IB was for a high school level and they're they're looking for critical thinking skills, higher order thinking, you know, this ability to be creative, um, to work together, to collaborate, some great ideas, right? But they start at the high school level and and in permaculture we're starting really at the adult level. But what happened was in IB is they found out, well, the high schoolers don't have the underlying foundational skills needed in order to actually do this. They can't think this way. And I found that with young adults in the military. You know, I found myself as an educator more than I was a, you know, an officer leading per se. I found myself helping people learn how to learn again because they didn't know how to analyze or synthesize information or evaluate. Um, and so, Programs like IB then went, well, geez, if kids aren't ready at high school, we better step back. Maybe we need to create a program for middle schoolers so that they're prepared by the time they get here. And then they went, hmm, well, wait a minute. Maybe we need to step it back further because we don't yet have the development we need. And I think that's backwards. What we need to do is when you start looking from the youngest child on and build that way so that children are thinking about these things and um, – so you can use these principles um, like observe and interact, and you can actually design an entire educational program. I, you know, you could use this to design a literacy program. Um, you know, those. Well, you can use principles. it to design anything. That's that's Absolutely. been my contention all along. That when I heard you say do this with education, I was like, well, duh, because I could do this with a business that manages finances. I could do this. Uh, with, with a farm, not from the growing standpoint, but from the business operational standpoint, I could design a building using permaculture principles. So why wouldn't we design our children's education with something that powerful? Because I don't know of anything else I can say that about. And then what you're saying about like, you know, well, we step back to the middle school. Jeez. And it's just, you wonder how we've gotten so far off track in education and mainstream education. It's like saying, well, you know, this building's going to be really tall. Um, so we really need to make sure that floor 25 is really strong because those 50 floors above there are going to put a lot of weight on floor 25 and, and going, gee, maybe we should think about the freaking foundation of the building, right? Right, absolutely. 
but it's, you know, a lot of times it's overlooked. Um, and, or again, you know, even in traditional education, everything's been backed up. So now, you know, there is a focus, um, in certain circles anyway on, you know, uh, pre-K or early childhood, but the focus is on bringing an education like you'd want for a high schooler down to that level instead of flip-flopping it all together and bringing an education that you'd want for a young child up to a high schooler's level. And being able to use, you know, empower them to be creative and innovative and interact with each other and move around the room, um, you know, and and starting from what you would want for a young child and then bringing them up through that so that they they can continue to become a lifelong learner. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, that permaculture thinking empowers you in whatever you want to do in life. And it doesn't matter if, you know, Johnny were to go through an education like this and then someday he grows up, he gets a job where he works in a cubicle where there's no window and he goes home to, you know, in the middle of the city to an apartment building where, you know, he only has a window that's north facing. Um, he can still live a life that is based on permaculture thinking because he can make choices in everything he does based yeah, on Yeah, probably that. not to take that job in the first place. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm with you there, but, you yeah. know, the idea is, you know, not everyone has to go out and have acres and acres no, or their own no, farm I I that, understand. you know, anything that you want to do in life and empowering them to see that from the earliest point on. Now, I've been real critical of modern education. I, I, I've said, and, and no one's ever been able to disprove this, that we're still using a model from the 1880s based on a Prussian system designed to create conformity. And even if it was great in 1880. We now have kids running around with a smartphone that has more computing power than the computers that were used to put a man on the frickin' moon. And to be using an educational model from 1880 and 2014 and only tweaking around the, the, the stuff you're teaching versus the methodology seems to me to be just completely ridiculous. But when I look back at my education, yes, I was bored, but I did learn a lot. So to me, there's probably still some resources in the educational system that could be possibly repurposed in a way that oh, will align with ethics and principles of permaculture. Hands down. In fact, um, my my approach to this um, has not been that we are going to do something totally new and that doesn't exist at all. Yes, there is there is that component, but within Permi Kids, what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to take resources that already exist and use them in new and innovative ways to actually change the way we are approaching education. So, yes, there are traditional, um, you know, programs out there. In fact, there's one that I'm looking at right now um, that I think would be a great fit. And, you know, so we have um, ideally this program where, you know, we, we have an overarching project inquiry question. And this is such a big question that there are so many different ways children can take it. And there are different topics underneath and directions, right? But under any question, any project that a child is doing, there's going to be underlying foundational knowledge, concepts, and skills that a child needs in order to, to move forward in their learning, right? So there's a, one program out there that I'm exploring that is available. It's online learning, and it's not only, you know, at your own pace, um, but it, it allows a child to go in and it allows me to say, um, or anyone who's, who's in the system um, and as an educator, 
to say, okay, well, they're doing this project, so they need to, you know, to do that, they're, they're going to have to know about fractions and proportions, and maybe they're going to have to know about this in science and that in, you know, in social studies, and identify certain things. And then a child can go into the system, take an initial test, and the system will automatically say they are, regardless of their age, regardless of where they're at, here's where they're at in the learning about this concept, about this piece of information, and so here are the next few lessons to take them forward with that concept. And, um, and then not only that, but within this system, you know, I can actually go in and change the questions um, that the child's not the information that they learn that's there, but when they are then evaluating themselves at the end and saying, you know, did I learn what I thought? Have I really grown in this this particular you know piece of knowledge or this this objective? Um, you know, I can actually go in and with the community's input, we can we can change the questions at the end so that the questions um, are all you know within uh, you know the permaculture ethics and and principles. Um, so if we don't like what's there, so it's a system that is that tweaks to the child. Um, so if I have a child who's exploring composting, right, and um, you maybe have two different children, but one of them already has certain skills and knowledge and doesn't need to go back and learn those things, they don't, and they just move forward in their project. Um, you have another child that does need some additional help, you know. So here is a traditional system that's been built. It's been built really primarily to help children um, or young adults who need remedial help and whose teachers don't have the time to sit back and, and help really help them, right? So the idea is, well, I'll, I'll teach my thing over here and then I'll send them to this computer and the, you know, the system will help them out. But we can take that and we can use that to actually accelerate a child's learning instead of looking at it from a remediation point of view. Um, but this sort of system you can't get as an individual homeschool family. You can't get access to it even as an individual teacher. It's only something that's available at more of like the institutional level. Um, and so it, there's some incredible traditional resources out there that if we, if we use them in a different way, um, that can be incredibly powerful to a child's learning. It's almost like you're saying like this is like a prescription drug for damaged kids. You know, like you can't get it without the proper authorization. And and when I listen to you describe that, I'm like, well, that's not for remedial at all. Um, I don't know if you're repurposing it more like properly purposing it. Yes. Well, and it's very interesting because, you know, when you look at a lot of the online learning programs, because obviously that's a big thing now, too. There's this idea of personal versus, you know, or personalized learning, and, and they're doing that through blended learning, they're calling it, there's all sorts of names, right, but this idea of, of bringing in online learning for kids, and um, the, the issue that I see for a lot of them is that online learning for kids in many situations is that it is really no different than that child being in the classroom except for they're doing it at home. The way that, that that information is being given to the child is the exact same. They're basically being told, read this screen or watch this movie. We are going to give you the information, and then you're going to take a multiple-choice test you know, at the end and tell us what you learned. Um, and then, oh, by the way, in many of these programs, uh, you have to agree to do so many hours every single day and or so many you know, units every single day, just like you would if you were in a classroom. So you know, we, we kind of we, we talk about it as being personal, 
uh, learning, but really it's, it's not. Um, and it's, it's trying to take what's being done traditionally and just put it online. And instead, we need to take this possibility of online learning and make it, you know, available, but make it, you know, fit the child, not just children in general. Well, because the time thing is huge. I, I see no reason to make somebody take six hours to do something they're capable of doing in one, um, unless you want them to be good little drones in an office. Right, and there's definitely that component, um, you know. But if here, if I'm if I'm online and and doing this through homeschool, now again, not every program's like this, but many of them are because they want to be accredited by the state, yeah. right? And so the yeah. state's going, well, I have to know that your kid is going to do at least five units today, and in order to get through that unit, even if I'm just click 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 clicking through, yeah. that unit's going to take me, you know, 45 minutes each, right? And yeah. so now the state can go, okay, I know you're doing so much time, so now we're okay. Which is um, moronic because we should be judging results, not time. I, judging time here, here. to judge learning is, is like judging time to judge whether a cake is baked or not. It might actually have something to do with are the ingredients in there right and what the temperature of the freaking oven is. Because you can put the cake in the oven for three hours at 100 degrees and you ain't going to get a cake. Or if you don't put flour in the cake, you ain't going to get a cake, even if you put it at 350 for an hour. And, and it, the, 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 the moronic attitude that time spent doing something equals results is a huge part of what's wrong with education today. Absolutely. But so take this other system I'm looking at that, you know, again, the, the average person can't get their hands on unless we do this, you know, as a community. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, now you can take it and you can actually make the learning personal for the kid. And if they need to learn something, they do. If they don't want to learn this way, guess what? In Perming Kids, I'm also putting together two or three other resources to learn that exact same skill. So if they don't like going on and learning through visual or audio, you know, auditory means on the computer, you know, you're going to have two or three other ways of that kid learning that piece of knowledge or that concept or that skill and doing it through something that's hands-on, right? I, you know, I've got multiple different um, resources I'm looking at. This is just one. And so, you know, but now if with the system, you can also, though, print out reports. And here's what's important about that. Even if you are a, a family homeschooling in many states, obviously every state's different, there are still regulations. And you still have to show what your child is learning, how they're learning it, and prove it, right? So if you want to do something that's a little bit more open-ended, um, a lot of times you have some hoops to jump through. Well, you could take this system where your child is doing their own project-based learning, they're driving their own learning, and when they need to, they go to the system and they're learning the, the foundational knowledge, skills, and concepts so that they can continue their own learning. And as a parent, you can, in the background, go in there, print off, and say, here's what my child's been doing, and oh, by the way, I can, in the background, so no one else needs to, like, you know, fiddle with this and, and be concerned about it, but in the background, I can make those connections to, to either a state standard or to common core standards so that a parent, at the end of the day, can, can go to their, you know, their county or their state and say, here you go, here's a book, printed out, done, here's what my child's been learning that you guys would recognize and understand and nothing special had to be done for that kid. That kid is still learning in a way that is empowering, that's passion-driven, where they are owning their own education. And yet you can bring something back to those who 
are looking to get in your way. <laughs> well, it, it almost sounds like what you're saying is you're able to break it down to their level of understanding because they can't comprehend learning, right? And I, I know that sounds a little harsh, but on this subject, I'm going to be harsh. <laughs> <laughs> because this is what you're doing. You're basically saying, listen, here's the deal. What my kid's doing is so far beyond what you guys understand that you're not going to be able to understand it. So I've got this little thing here that translates it uh, down to your level so you can look at it and understand what my eight-year-old's learning. Here you go. And that's great. And I wouldn't put it that way. Oh, I would put it that way. I would advise <laughs> the parents necessarily put it that way. I'd say right after the point where they're done with their their uh, their you know 12th grade graduation, you could put it that way over and over again. But I would get through the process first. Um, I, you've kind of answered this, but just so people really understand, who is this for? Well, it's ultimately, you know, we're looking to do this for children, but with children. But I think what people are going to find when they start getting involved in this is that it's not just going to be about an education and learning and a way of approaching, you know, it's going to be changing the way we think about education, being educated, and doing the the educating, right? And so although it's a program that's really for children, and we're, we're starting with the youngest children, early childhood through, like, you know, the primary years. Um, and I, I hesitate to use an age because I think that's really limiting. Um, but, you know, in general, we're looking at maybe like zero to, you know, 12-ish, um, although the resources and what we're doing could easily be applied to older children as well. But I think what's interesting is that I think people are going to find that they are going to be in, be learners as well. Um, because as their children are empowered to to learn through their own projects that they're designing and that they're following through with, they're going to find that as a parent or as a teacher, these kids are going to start asking questions or needing help finding resources, and you're going to be going, I need to do some learning about this myself. <laughs> and so it's really a, a – Permi Kids is a program that's meant for an entire community. And it's meant to empower us to start, you know, taking responsibility again um, and and working together. And the community doesn't have to be, you know, just local anymore. We can do this with people anywhere in the world, anyone who wants to get involved and, and actually just step forward and start taking action. What are your long-term big goals uh, that you think you can achieve with the Permikids program? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, there are there are several things that I think we can do ultimately as a community, and um, I think they're going to be things like actually, you know, really truly empowering, solutions based, ethical, you know, innovative thinkers in all walks of life, and be able to take a kid from you know from early childhood. And imagine what they can do in this world with an understanding, a true, deep understanding of the ethics and the principles. Um, imagine what they can do. I mean, look what's happening now with adults who are just getting the aha moment and what we're doing. Imagine if a child were to be raised thinking this way and, and be able to see the world. But beyond that, I really think that Permi Kids can build and revitalize children's local communities. And by local, I don't mean geographical necessarily. I mean that 
you know, we talk about local communities a lot of times when, well, on your show, you definitely do, and in permaculture, of course. But children also have local communities. And so I think we can actually build and revitalize local communities from the child level up. Um, I think what we can expand people's perspective of what value and worth actually is. Um, and I think what we can ultimately activate and exchange in different forms of capital. You know, I mean, again, you talk about that, and there's all sorts of things great happening out there. You talk about Bitcoin. Of course, um, you had uh, Xavier Hawk on talking about the PERMA credits. I think that's just, that's incredible. Um, and within PERMI Kids, we can, we can further that and actually activate people to start exchanging different forms. Um, I, for one, am going to... Um, in the in the near future, well, in the short term future, to get this thing up and off the ground, it needs financial capital. I mean, because other people out there and other programs and resources need that. But what I'm going to do is is actually look to uh, to accept any of the eight forms of capital. Um, and so, you know, you're looking to get involved in this community and contribute, and you are a member of the PTO for your child's local, you know, school and you want to give a presentation on this sort of way of thinking and approaching education, that has value. And so I think ultimately within Permikids, we can start changing and expanding how people perceive value and worth. So what and, you're saying is for the eight forms of capital, and there's probably more than that. That's just yeah, yeah. What, what the author of that article came up with. And for them to truly be accepted, we have to start acknowledging them, not just witnessing the results. So in other words, there is no doubt that social capital is a huge part of the success of my show. If I didn't have the social capital, the show wouldn't have the success. But and in effect, that's what an advertiser is doing when they buy on the on the site is the social capital for financial capital exchange. But what we need to do is find more innovative, in, in, integrated ways to allow for the exchange of capital, cultural capital, community capital, human capital, um, so that we can actually transform the economics by actually allowing the free exchange of value to not always be tied to the financial capital. Bingo. You know, we talk about this idea a lot, but I'm actually going to put it in practice. And, uh, and I'm going to encourage anyone else that's part of the community to consider doing so as well, so that, again, we can start taking action with those words, with those thoughts. It's great to play with them from a philosophical point of view and, you know, and talk about the idea, but we need to start taking action and, and actually put value on those things. And if that means that, you know, we exchange in that way because it has value, then that's exactly what it means. And, you know, the other thing that I think that we can do with Impermi Kids, ultimately, is I think as a community, we can normalize, one, the spirit of permaculture, but also to the word permaculture in mainstream education. And, you know, in other countries, you know, they're much further along than we are here in the U.S. Um, you know, as you said many times, people say perma what? Um, and I really think that instead of trying to hide, or I don't want to say hide like in a negative way, but, you know, to... Um, 
sort of secretly go about and, uh, you know, bringing permaculture into someone's life, um, which sometimes you have to do that. I mean, that's a valid approach. But I think through Permikids, we can actually do something that we can take this beyond our community and we can bring it out into mainstream education. Um, I already have several uh, contacts and resources, both in traditional education, also in alternative education uh, circles that I am um, sort of, you know, prepping um, and laying some foundational work to be able to do just that um, so that we can take what we build as a community and we can move it beyond and actually normalize this idea and the word itself. Um, and I think that I think that would be really powerful um, and uh, and something that is that is overdue. So how can people get involved with this, and what are you going to be your big next steps? Oh boy. Okay, so the first thing that people can do is uh, check out the website, which I will tell you right now is nothing special to look at. Um, I do not have any great website skills, and so what's been created there is just me. Um, but it allows me to put out information at this point, and uh, it'll allow me to start collecting information from you guys as well. And then we're going to work to improve that, right? So www.permikids.com. Check it out. Um, there are over 50 podcasts um, that I've been doing, um, and I will tell you right now, because I purposely started doing this with the idea that I wanted to share my thinking process, I didn't wait until I had, I had these ideas solidified. So some of my early stuff, you know, sucks. Uh, I'll be honest, but that's because there was a thinking process. And, uh, um, but I have podcasts out there. Uh, there's a way for us to communicate, and what I'm doing right now is I'm going to take this next month, and I want to work with the community. I've already had people on. I've had people from uh, uh, the course that we were at before, and we've already been engaging, so there are people already involved, but I really want to open this up and let the community know that throughout this next month, you have an opportunity to to get actively involved and be part of this duocracy. So between now and this coming Monday, um, I am going to be uh, collecting ideas for the first unit that we're going to build together. And I'm going to be collecting ideas on what sort of questions do the children have, right? And these have to be big thinking questions. So I've, um, I put out a podcast a couple days ago with some that I've started coming up with. And next Monday, I'm going to collect what other people have come up with and some questions that I have. Um, so a big question, right, this big project-based question would be something like, you know, what can you, what, you know, surplus exists in your life that you can use to improve your life, that of your family, your neighborhood, or community, right? So that is a big question that a surplus could be answered in, in any way a child wants, all sorts of directions. Um, you know, that's just one example of, of a question. So, what I'm going to do is Monday, put these questions together, get them up on the website. People will actually be able to vote. Um, and based on what the community wants is what we will move forward with for this very first unit that we create together. So everyone has a voice. And what I'm hoping is is that people who get on will talk to their children or their students, if you are a teacher, and ask them, which of these questions would you be most interested in exploring and why? and then get on and tell me so that as a community we can pick this, you know, the question and move forward. So 
every single Monday I'm going to come forward with something back to the community that we are going to need to weigh in on. And that, again, I will have a survey right on the website, and people can go and tell me what they think. That will inform us for the next one. So the first week, we'll, talk, we'll do the overarching question. The next week, um, after we've picked our question, I'll put out what I think are some of the big topics that children might want to explore, and people can, again, provide their input. We'll vote on the top two or three topics that children are most interested in, be it, you know, composting or, you know, um, uh, you know, water harvesting, what, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and we'll move forward with that. And so every Monday you'll get a survey. Every Thursday we'll have a cutoff. Come Friday I'll tell you as a community, here's what we're doing, here's how we're moving forward. And we will actually build questions, topics. We'll identify what are the foundational pieces of knowledge, what skills do kids need to be able to do this, and I will then start connecting people with resources to do just that. And then we'll start building lessons together. And by lessons, I don't mean a standard curriculum where you pick up a book and yesterday you were on page 39, so today you teach lesson, you know, whatever is on page 40. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lessons that would drive kids in their own learning and that um, empower you, though, as an educator to get them started and to help them find the right resources to further that knowledge. So the first thing people can do is just check out the website and, you know, sign up, register um, so that I have a way to contact you and let you know what's going on and so I can give you updates. And every Monday, look for that survey um, and, uh, you know, and make your voice heard. Um, and we're going to do this for a whole month, so you're going to see the entire process about how we can do this together as a community. Um, and then May 4th, Permaculture International Permaculture Day, is going to be sort of the, the drop-dead date. And I'm going to say, all right, we've, we've had a month here as a community coming together. Is this something that you guys think is of value? Is this something that you want to see continue to move forward? Because if so, then we need to come together and we need to figure out how we're going to make this happen. And that will probably be through some sort of, you know, Indiegogo uh, campaign um, so that we can come together and say, yes, you know what? This is something that I want to be involved in, and this is something that is going to empower my children. Um, I want to make this happen. And, uh, and then we'll move forward, and my plan would be that we would have our first unit done, ready to go by September 1st. This entire time, it's not me working behind the scenes. Every single week I'd be coming back to the community saying, here's where we are, here's what we've done, here's our next step. What do you guys think? And then let's move forward. And we would build the unit together, and by September 1st, there would be a comprehensive unit that can be downloaded, that you can use, and once every four months, I'd like to come out with something like that, where then during those four months, while we're designing the next one, kids are actually going through and doing their project, asking those questions, um, and moving forward with it. So that's how people can, can get involved is check out the website. Um, we also have a Facebook page. It's just, you know, facebook.com backslash permikids. Um, but get involved. Let me know what you, what you think. Let me know what your children think. Get involved by subscribing, doing the questionnaire. Um, and, uh, you know, and seeing, you know, is this something that, that you want to be part of? And, you know, what role can you take? What responsibility can we, can we each take? to actually make this thing a reality. 
Awesome stuff. Well, as you get further along, we'll keep bringing you back here to tell more folks about it. And I really hope that people get over to your site and uh, hook up with you. I'll have links to that. I'll have links to your Facebook and Twitter accounts as well. And uh, thank you for the work you're doing, and thanks for being on the show today with me. Well, thanks, Jack. Really enjoyed it. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spierka today along with Jen Mendez, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.